Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We harvest what we plant. We harvest what we plant, or as some may have heard before, we reap what we sow. Well, the thing is, is that this speaks to a cycle, meaning that our choices and, and our actions have certain consequences. You see, our world that we live in is corrupted by sin, and the reason we know that is because the thing that drives everybody is selfish desires. And people are seeking to serve themselves, and it can be seen in every area of life. Uh, however, the truth is there are many who suffer physically, emotionally, and spiritually, but the scriptures remind us today that as believers, those of us that wear the name of Jesus Christ, as believers and as the church, we are called to help others, and I hate to say this, but before we help ourselves. That is so counter to culture, I know, but through the power of God and our obedience to his word, we have the ability to make a difference in this world. The question is, are we willing to rise to that calling? And will you and I be the church that God has called us to be? You realize the church is not this building. I am grateful for this building, but the church is the people. So let's just jump right into Scripture. We're going to be in Galatians 6 this week and uh, next week. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 6 for just a moment. And we're going to be starting with verse 1. And uh, verse 1 says this. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Uh, when it says here, dear brothers and sisters, or maybe your translation may say brethren, uh, this is more than just a way to start a letter. It's not, hey, y'all, how you doing, kind of thing. That's not what Paul is trying to say here. By him saying, dear brothers and sisters, or dear brethren, it would be like him writing to the church family. This is more than just a way to address the readers. I want you to, as you even with the first few words, feel the weight of what Paul is saying here. This means dear church family. This is not, hey, anybody who hears this, this is for the people that are part of the church, people that he has served with, people that he loves. The church family, these are fellow believers that are united under the same blood of Christ. He says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, or some translations say overtaken. The Apostle Paul uses the term overcome or overtaken to refer to a believer who has fallen into sin. Now, Paul suggests that a believer's sin was not deliberate or premeditated, but rather the result of a weakness or temptation. Let me explain this for a minute. So Paul is not talking about those sinners outside of these walls. He's talking about the sinners inside of these walls. He's talking about those in the church. He's not talking about those that are living in sin and don't care who knows it and don't feel bad about it. He's talking about those that are doing their best to live a godly life. However, through a bad choice, a bad something happened and they have fallen into sin. 
Paul is not saying, well, you need to talk about them. Paul is not saying you need to judge them. Paul is saying you need to help them. My friends, if you or a loved one is hurt, you go into the emergency room, you're going to be pretty upset if nobody sees you for about eight or nine hours. But how many people are walking into churches hurt because of sin and we look right by them? That's what Paul's talking about. And he emphasizes the importance of restoring the fallen believer. In a, in a spirit of gentleness and humility, i got news for you. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have that ability and often that, that opportunity to fall into sin. We don't mean to, but it's a struggle. We talked in our life group this morning about Paul struggling with sin in Romans 7. If you've ever struggled with sin, I encourage you to read that chapter because you're going to say, dude, that's me. Paul struggled. Members struggle with sin. Now, look, your pastor does not expect you to be perfect. And that person sitting to your left and to your right and in your front and your back, they better not expect you to be perfect because they are not perfect. We all have struggles. But when you learn that another believer is struggling with sin, what do you do? Nine times out of ten, a good Baptist Christian is going to say, well, I'm going to pray for him. And that's good. We, we need to pray for them. But still, if all we're doing is praying for them, that still lacks a little bit of personal involvement, doesn't it? i tell you what it'll do. They're struggling with sin. I'm going to go tell the preacher about it and let him deal with it. Eh, that's not really scripture either. i tell you what, we're going to call it a prayer request at the meeting. I'm going to let everybody know about it. No, sometimes prayer requests, if you're not careful and if they're shared with the wrong intention, it is just plain Baptist gossip. My friends, if you share a prayer request in a prayer meeting, A, it's confidential. B, you do not repeat it. And C, you better pray for it. Many will decide sometimes not to get involved. I'm not going to tell them that they're wrong. I'm not going to ask them because they might get mad at me. That is an excuse and a lie. Isn't it funny? Think about it this way. If we are afraid to help somebody that has fallen in sin, I'm talking one of our own, folks. If we are afraid to help one of our own and we say, well, we don't want to get mad at me, we're making it their fault for hurting. <laughs> you ever thought of that? I don't want to get mad at me. What, are, what if they don't like it? What, what will people say if I'm seen with it? What, you know, all these what ifs. We're making it about ourselves rather than the person that is hurting. The worst thing that we can do is nothing. Because that brother or sister will say, you know what, I went to church and I was hurting, they knew it, and they did nothing. What does that say about the faith of a church that is known for their inaction? Look, we can have the prettiest walls, the beautiful brick, the state-of-the-art technology, we can have beautiful carpet, we can have nice pews, we can have all these great things. But if we do not have love and care for one another, this all will go away. It'll just be sold. You ever heard of the bystander effect? And you're like, man, James, you're getting deep this morning. Hang with me for a minute. You ever heard of the bystander effect? Anybody? Well, let me help you out. There was a lady named Kitty Genovese. She was a 28-year-old woman, and she was brutally attacked and stabbed multiple times on March 13th in 1964. Some of you remember where you were in 1964. 
She was outside of her apartment building in Queens, New York. And not only was she attacked and stabbed, uh, she was violated, if you know what I mean, multiple times. Despite her screams for help on three separate attacks. So in other words, they attacked her three times. She screamed each time. Thirty-eight witnesses failed to intervene, resulting in her death. This incident has come to be known as a Kitty Gianisevi tragedy, highlighting the phenomenon of the bystander effect, which individuals often fail to help someone in need if others are present. We see, you know, we see on the news these awful things that are happening. We think, man, if I was there, I would do something. Or some of us might say, you know, if that happened here, I don't know what I would do. Let me ask you something. I wasn't there. You weren't there. Why did no one try to help Kitty? Why do people, better yet, here's a better question. Why do people not get involved today? Well, there's a few reasons that uh, scientists talk about. Number one, there's something called crowdsourced responsibility, meaning that when there is a group of people, someone or everyone in that group expects somebody to do something, but nobody does it, so nothing gets done. Sometimes there's no expectation of help. No one is helping, so everybody in the group thinks if no one's helping, I don't need to help either. Sometimes it's just plain fear, the fear that if you help, there will be negative consequences. I don't know what to do. I'm not trained. Then also there's the fear of perception of the situation. You may have personal beliefs or values that say, I'm not going to get involved in that. But again, look at verses, the second half of verse 1 and 2. You, talking about, pointing to you and me, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Folks, for us to be able to help others, we must first ensure that we are spiritually healthy ourselves. My friends, you're not going to help somebody in quicksand if you jump in with them. Your daily walk with God is no different than an athlete's training to compete, a military soldier training to fight, a first responder training to save. They should be in a ready, a ready state at any moment. The same is true with you and I as believers. Folks, God gives us his divine appointments for people who are ready. Did you know that maybe, just maybe, the Bible teaching that you hear today is going to help you help somebody else Later on this week, did you know that maybe if you spent a few moments with the Lord on your own on one morning this week, do you think that maybe those things that God teaches you in private will help you help other people? I don't know about you, but I don't want a first responder to work on me that doesn't train. I don't want a military soldier to fight for me that does not train. The lessons God is teaching you today will help you next week, next month. Next year. And this sermon may give you some ideas that will help someone in the future. But we must take our responsibility to be spiritually fit. We must take that seriously. Your spiritual life is not just about you. It's about the church that God has called you to. 
It says, if you are not spiritually mature to help someone, you may entrap yourself. I can't tell you the number of times that I've showed up on a fire scene where the house or the woods are fully involved. You can barely take the heat off of it when you walk up to it. And there's the homeowner out there with a garden hose doing nothing. But they're doing all they can with what they've got. They don't have the big hoses. They don't have the big water. They're doing what they can. My friend, if you do not take your spiritual life seriously, not only will you not grow, you will not be able to help others when their lives are burning down. We're not to compromise truth either. Helping someone is not agreeing with them that their sinful lifestyle is right. I've heard people talk about um, people that they know that are in sinful lifestyles, and they say, well, you know what? Um, That person needs to get back on the right path, but you know what? As long as they're happy, then God will say their sin is okay. It does not work like that. I've heard no one ever say, well, you know what? He likes to kill people, and it makes him happy. So let's just go ahead and let him kill people. It makes him happy. It's against God's law. It's against moral law. Yeah. So it's against literal law. Yeah, let's go ahead and let them kill themselves, kill people. No, we don't do that. So why do we, on other things that are sins as well, why don't we do the same thing? You see, helping someone lovingly, presenting themselves with the truth of God's word and not apologizing for it, that is love. We are not superior or better than anybody else. Then let's look at verse 3. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. I love that. I love that translation. If you think you're too good to help somebody, you're really not that important as you think you are. Pride prevents us from bearing the burdens of other believers. Pride keeps believers in their pews instead of serving. Pride says, well, you know, I can't do that. I'm too old or there's nothing I can do. No one's asked me to do that. Those types of statements seem like a pretty good excuse. But who is at the center of each one of them? If you say, I'm to this, I can't do that, I, 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 who is at the center of your excuse? You are. That is pride. Oh, we dress it up good as Christians. We dress up that pride, make it look really holy. But it's still pride. And then when you do that, when you're saying, I could never, I won't. Now, there's a difference. There's some things you, you're not called to do, and that's fine. But if there is something that God is calling you to do or put a burden in your heart, and you're saying no, you're placing more emphasis on yourself than God. So, in essence, you have become your own God when you say, God, I know you're telling me to do this, but I just can't do it. Wow. God can split a Red Sea, but He can't help you sing a note in a choir. That's a pretty uh, powerless God, isn't it? Here's a question for you and me. Are you willing to acknowledge that if you are not serving God and loving others, it may be due to your pride? I ain't saying, I'm just saying. The second thing we see in verses 4 through 5, avoid pride in comparison. Avoid pride in comparison. Be careful, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. 
For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Man, I'm telling you what, it's it's really hard. to. I fight this sin a lot. You may too. I want to compare myself. You know, our church isn't like the other church. My preaching is not like the other preaching. And we start comparing ourselves, and we start looking at what we've got here, and then we think, well, maybe we're less than, maybe we don't have, or maybe we're greater than somebody. It all depends on who you're comparing yourself to, right? But Paul is warning us here against comparing ourselves to others because it can lead to a few things. And I'll put them on the screen there for you. Number one, it can lead to insecurity and a distorted view of others. As Gene Panel, the deacon at first North Spartanburg taught me years ago when I was a youth. He was on a youth retreat with me. He, he was a great man. And I've used this. You've probably heard me say it before. But wherever the grass is greener, there's always manure. You can take that to the bank. Wherever you think somebody else has got it better, they have stuff that they have to deal with. Also, it can make us, it can make us insecure, but also it can call us to value ourselves as less than others. Comparison can lead to a negative self-image and the belief that one is less valuable than others. Comparison focuses primarily on the outward appearances. And comparison makes, we, makes us distracted from doing God's work. We spend all of our time wondering why we are this, why we're not that, and trying to compare ourselves to other people. Meanwhile, the gospel is not being shared and people are not being reached. But here's the point. Discover real fulfillment by embracing God's purpose in your life rather than constantly seeking the approval of others. You don't need your pastor's approval. You need God's approval. The third thing that we see is that we need to support those who teach the Word of God. And this is not a passage I'm going to start telling you I need a raise. That is not what I'm talking about here. Look at it for what it really says. Those who are taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Am I going to tell you this is not about tithing? No, because it is. But I'm not talking about tithing with your money. I'm talking about tithing with everything that you are. Appreciation for church support. I am grateful for the support that I have received from this church, my church, both financially and spiritually over the years. I have stood on the shoulders and you have carried Donna and I through many trials. And hopefully we have done the same for you over these last 11 years. The investments of your time and your talents and resources, they have been instrumental in my growth and development as a leader. I am not the same pastor I was when I put on this campus 11 years ago. And some of you could say amen. But folks, there is a need for co-laborers. While I appreciate all the support that I have received, there is still a great need for additional co-laborers to support the teaching of God's Word. I'll give you, a, for example, as Vacation Bible School approaches, we are in need of five additional team members to assist with teaching and supporting the children of our community. By joining this team, you would play a vital role in sharing the gospel and making a difference in the lives of young people, as this says. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if we don't get those five additional people, we're not doing VBS because the few that have done it are worn out. And they shouldn't be. 
They have not told me to say this. They're probably going to get mad that I'm saying this. But it's the truth. People have, have and not just this church, but every church, and I, they're just, it's okay to watch a few people work. It's kind of like we're a state job. We're the ones holding the shovel while there's one guy in the ditch digging. We need to pivot. We are on the, the cusp, and I can't wait to roll this out. It's still baking. But uh, we, in our all-in meeting, we started uh, making some changes that will revitalize the way we do church. And it's going to be exciting. It's not going to take, it's going to be much, a much more simplified approach to ministry. Not to what we used to be, but what we have now. It's going to be highly simplified, but we still are going to need you. The people God has called to this church for a purpose. Look, I know some of you cannot do what you used to do. You, you have got literal uh, pains and aches and schedules and all these things. Look, you, go ahead and we'll all talk about the excuses we have. But there are some that are not serving that should. We have gone as far. And, and look, I love you. And that, you said, preacher, you're not preaching this morning. I am. I, this is a family meeting this morning. We have gone as far as we can by depending on the staff that we have and those who are currently serving our church. We are maxed out. You look at business principles like span of control. You look at uh, the number of people that are doing different things. We all want this church to grow. But there is only so much a certain amount of people can do. The future of this church is sitting in these pews. And Paul is telling the church to encourage and support those that are teaching God's word. And the best support you can do is by being here. I'm not trying to be morbid. In order to grow, we need members who are invested in seeing God do the unexplainable. And here's the the other thing, is that um, I remember when I came here, it was was, uh, Miss Bobby and Miss Llewellyn. We went to McDonald's, and I got ice cream all over the front of my shirt. And uh, I was serving in Wilmington at the time, so we met at McDonald's in Myrtle Beach and uh, just started talking with them, and they started telling me about how you know, they, they are interested in, in calling me, and, and I thought, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll have this discussion. And they said, we're predominantly senior adult, senior adult and, and we will, uh, we're looking for a young pastor to come in and, and, and help us out. And I thought at that time, <laughs> hey, I'm young, I can do it. Woo! Ignorance is bliss, my friend. Rick was there. He was on that, that committee. Harold was. And... Uh, Eleven years later, look around. We have senior adults. We have youth. We have beautiful babies. And I am so grateful. It is not by anything that I have done personally, but it is by the unmitigated grace and mercy of God. Look around you, folks. Take a minute and look around you. There are not many churches in this community at this moment that have what we have. True or false? 
absolutely true. And I'm not compare. That's not comparison. That's not we're better than we're worse than. I'm just saying, look at what we have. Those of you that have been here longer than I have, you have seen the shift. Folks, we are one or well, I say one, two or three more funerals away from losing an entire generation in our church. A lot of the people that called me here are no longer here. But God in his mercy has blessed us with younger families that are connected to them. You're sitting here today, and I thank you for that. But folks, we are one generation away from closing the doors. And I am going to do everything I can with my last breath to make sure that that doesn't happen. But God has sent you here for a purpose. God has sent me here for a purpose. And we need to encourage one another. The bystander effect is real, folks. There are people that are saying, somebody will do it. Or some are feeling like, I really don't have a responsibility to do anything. Look, I am not going to love you any less if you're not a member of our church. You are just as welcome to come to anything that we do than anything else. But... There's a difference when you go home to have a family member in your house and a guest. There are people that need to join the church. There are people that need to serve. And as long as I just kind of be Mr. Nice Pastor and not talk about it, it's never going to it's never going to happen. This is God. We must not let our pride say if we only had something. I told uh, some folks a while back, and this is hard to say, but I'm going to say it. Folks, the Calvary's not coming. Oh, if we just hire this person, if we hire this position, then we'll be all right. Do you know how hard it is for us to hire anybody? People are like, well, you got AU right down there. You ought to have a plethora of students being able to come, come here. I want to tell you honestly, we have tried multiple times through multiple agencies, multiple venues, trying to get an inroad to AU. They don't want to come here. They don't want to serve here in churches like this, in this community. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm not, please hear me. But that's not a resource. Folks, our future is not going to depend on whether we hire a certain position. And here, here's the thing. I'm sorry to get into all this, but we're here. Um, is God sufficient? Yes or no? Okay. Is God all-knowing? Is God all-powerful? Then why? Tell me. Why would God give us a mission to reach this community and not give us the people to do it? If you have an answer for me, please share it with me. God has given us everything that we need to say he hasn't is pride in making excuses for the disobedience of the saints. So Paul is instructing the believers here to support those who teach the word of God by helping them. Every action 
and opportunity has its own consequences. Look at verses 7 through 10. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that spiritual nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. When it says, do not be misled, God is not mocked. Ignoring or minimizing God and His commands is mocking God. Expressing this mockery through our actions and words and attitudes. Mocking God is seen as serious offenses in the Bible with severe consequences. He's, God says here, you will always harvest what you plant. You will always reap what you sow. What grandma said was, then the well comes up in the bucket. Amen? This verse implies that those who mock God are disobeying Him and will face ultimate consequences. If you were to go back and you were to read Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 15, we all know as, as believers that the great rap, we're going to be raptured and the people are going to be judged between whether they, lo- they know Christ or don't know Christ. And we're all good about that. But in Revelation 20, 1 through 15, it talks about the great white throne judgment. And I would say that it's not as much of a judgment as it is an assessment where the boss is going to call us in to the office. The boss being God. And God is going to sit us down and say, okay, I have your job description here. And he's going to have the word of God. He's like, I've seen you done really well with this, but um, you've done exceptional here. Uh, less than stellar here. Less than stellar here. Folks, we are going to have to give an account for what we've done and not done. It doesn't mean we're not going to make it into heaven, but it is going to mean something. That's what the great white throne judgment is. You will reap what you sow. The principle of reaping what we sow is a metaphor used throughout the Bible to teach us that actions have consequences. And, my friends, inactions have consequences. This is not just a religious concept. It's true in areas of life. So as we wrap up our time together, here's the nugget of truth. The principle of what we harvest is what we plant is a reminder that we are responsible for our own actions and that our choices have consequences. The theme of the passage is that as Christians, we are called to help others in need, but we must do so with humility and genuine desire to serve. But we also need to be careful not to get falling into the trap of pride in comparison. We must support those who are teaching the word of God. There's one, if there was any sin that this message is talking about, that God has kind of laid on my heart, is James 4.17. James 4.17 says, Remember it is sin to know what you ought to do, then not do it. Do you know what a sin of commission is, right? That is when you, you commit a sin. We can wrap our minds around this. 
But God also said it is sin to know what to do and not to do it. That is called the sin of not commission, but the sin of omission. As I wrap up, hear me, please. Just as Paul shared these instructions with the church at Galatia, he shared them out of love, as I do as well. If some of you get mad at what I've said and don't want to come back, I am sorry, but that just means God has called you to someplace else. But if you're in here today and God is convicting you, you say, well, I really ought to do something, but I mean, now it's too late or I just don't know where to start. Get that out of your head. I was in my devotion, actually, crazy enough, in my devotion this morning, um, it was talking about where Jesus was praying in the garden and the disciples fell asleep. After Jesus said, hey, just watch and pray while I'm going to pray. They fell asleep. He came back. And they felt real bad about it. They were very disappointed in themselves. And what did Jesus tell them? He said, get up, let's get going. I'm not worried about what you have done or what you haven't done. I'm just saying, what are we going to do together next? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God has got plans for this church. And if God's people get on track with that, we will be able to see him do the unexpected. And the unexplainable that will only be explained by God. God has placed a burden on my heart to share the importance of living out his will in these days. And our lives and this church depend on it. If you've become sidetracked or let other things become more important in your life than serving God, I pray that he shows you that. If you're not there yet on this serving God thing, I understand that and I'm praying for you and I love you just as much. But if you see a brother or sister in Christ struggling, do not do nothing. They are worth your effort and God will use you in a mighty way. If you want your world to be better, change it. If you want your world to be better, change it. Because we harvest what we plant. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time today. And God, um, this is one of those messages that, Lord, it's just, it's you. I love every person in here and every person that I've shared this with. I love you more, God. And I see what you've what you're working on and what you've led us to after these 11 years. Lord, we are on the precipice of seeing the promised land for Homeland Park Baptist Church. But you are calling your servants to rise up. You're calling us to be a part of something bigger in ourselves and do something here that you're not doing in other places. But God, it'll have to be fueled by you and your spirit. Working in the lives of your church, God. I love every person in here. And there is no difference whether they come to everything we do when the doors are open or they come just on Sunday mornings once in a while. They are all treasured by you. But God, if there is one thing, just one thing that you could lead them to do, and it doesn't matter what it is, show them that one thing, God. It sure would be a blessing to us that are serving and will allow our church to do things we've never dreamed of. God, we love you. And the invitation is this, God, if there is someone here today 
that doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord, and they want to be a part of a church that loves them regardless of their sins, and they want to be forgiven of their sins, and they want to be a part of your church. May they come to know Christ today by accepting Him in their hearts and lives. May they come forward. I'll be glad to pray with them. Maybe someone just wants to join me at the altar, and we'll just sit here and we'll pray for the next steps of this church. Maybe someone wants to join the church or be baptized. I don't know, Lord. This invitation time is a time for for us to get out of our pews and to, to respond, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?